Sequence is loading. One week I'm their big cog. The next, they're speaking to me with a tenor. Ready, ready, ready. Relax. Denny Craig. All right, everybody. Walk and walk. Hello, Mr. Dirty Mouth. Get up! From Forest Rain Studios, the home of boston-legal.org, you're connected to Boston Legal Radio. That's the unofficial and right now very occasional experience of Boston Legal that we do via audio right into your ears. Um, of course, that's the David E. Kelly produced television show broadcast here in the USA on ABC and with the help of 20th Century Fox and of course those talented folks at David E. Kelly Productions. I'm Dana Greenlee. Today's Boston Legal podcast is a special look at a beloved sort of and enduring character. The character is amazing. The man is wonderful. The, he's a veteran of eight episodes, so that's fully a first third of the 2006-2007 season, and you're going to know him a lot better in just a few minutes today. Let's listen in on his inaugural scene in Boston Legal. She was just the most giving person, a marvelous judge, an ideal neighbor. Why, it's absolutely heartbreaking what happened. I know I'll certainly remember her fondly, as I'm sure others will too. Neighborhood won't be the same without her. It's tragic what happened, really. Tragic. All right, that guy is creepy. That was the next-door neighbor, Lincoln Meyer. Ah, Gracie Jane called it. We're talking to not Lincoln Meyer today. Welcome, David Dean Votrell. Thank you. Thanks, Dana. It's great to be here. Oh, it's wonderful to have you. I know I'm sort of hauling you in from a busy weekend, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Do your activities, such as writing and producing, let you have a day off? Or or does inspiration know no day off? (laughs) Inspiration knows no day off, Dana. No, I do take weekends off. And uh, this is a relatively low-key weekend, and it's great to talk to you guys. Oh, that's good. It's going to get kind of hectic as we come up into April, I understand. Uh, Hopefully. Hopefully so. It's looking that way right now. So it's it's very, very exciting, actually. I guess we'll talk all about that stuff later on, I guess, huh? Well, I take it, yes, we will. Um, I take it you're relaxing in your home in sunny Southern California today? It's not terribly sunny today. It's pretty uh, pretty cloudy here today. Oh, (laughs) that can be a relief. It is springtime. It's, Absolutely. It's like Niagara Falls up here in the Pacific Northwest. It's uh, just buckets. Uh, but now, the first thing I have to call attention to, because everybody's rapt right now at your voice, this is you, David, talking. This is me. We all know you in a slightly different persona. Right. A different kind of voice. Right. Um, can, uh, yeah. Can you just tease us with a little bit of Lincoln, just just a random sentence? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry to do that. Uh, no, no, I, I, yeah, sure. I actually had to, um, I had to give some uh, interviews uh, on the radio, maybe, a, I guess it was a month and a half ago or something mm-hmm. like that. Frequently that would come up and they would say, you know, oh, well, what about that accent? And I would say, what accent? What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank good. you. Just like a, a faucet. Turn it on. <laughs> Thank you. The accent actually is based on somebody that I used to work for. Um, it was not originally in the in the script. Um, it's something I sort of walked in the door with at the audition, and everybody sort of thought it was funny. Um, I uh, Years ago, um, when I was a student, I used to um, do catering and bartending, and I used to bartend for this guy um, in New York who came from this class of people that I'm not really sure really exist anymore, but they were with this old money, white, sort of waspy group of folks. Oh, yeah. Um, and they, um, and he and his, you know, cohorts actually did have that kind of odd, you know, East Haddam, Catherine Hepburn uh, accent. They That's really it? spoke like that. And so a lot of people have, have written in and said, are you imitating Catherine Hepburn? And I actually <laughs> wasn't. I was actually imitating this guy who, in fact, sounded a little like Catherine Hepburn. Yeah, it's not even a caricature of a voice. It's, it's a voice. <laughs> it, is, it is a real voice, or at least it used to be. I, don't, I mean, that guy was sort of elderly, so I'm sure he's probably not with us anymore. But um, yeah. <laughs> if he only knew. <laughs> That's incredible. But he was a very odd, um, very imperious um, guy who sort of lived in his own world and was quite wealthy, and um, and I guess I stole a little bit of that when I went into audition for Lincoln. Did you go around bartending and waiting and, and basically mocking him behind his back with well, that voice? Well, no, I was pretty careful to not do anything behind his back. Okay. <laughs> it just I hadn't handy. really thought of him in years, and when the audition for Boston Legal came up, the original character description said something like um, creepy, effeminate, Truman Capote kind of character. Yeah. And um, I don't 
happened to do a Truman Capote imitation, and so I thought, well, who am I going to do? Who am I going to do? And I and I happened to flash on this guy, and I thought, well, it's worth a shot. And so I just um, tried it, uh, sort of walking around my living room, and it seemed like it kind of worked. And and I went into audition uh, for it, and everybody laughed. And um, <laughs> the next thing I knew, I was playing Lincoln. And you had the corner on the voice because you know other people were trying to do Truman Capote high pitched or whatever, <laughs> and they all sounded alike. This is great. This is your little key of uniqueness. It certainly worked out. I have to say, everybody everybody was uh, amused. Well, I understand, and let's let's get right into. You mentioned the audition, and I'm dying to know. How a guy, and we, we haven't prefaced this, but you're a guy that was into acting about 17 years ago. Right. For a, a decade, decided to step behind the camera and do uh, writing and producing and directing. And somebody teased you hard enough or pulled you right out of retirement, you know, retirement of acting. Yeah. How did that happen? You know, uh, I had been an actor years ago. Um, I was a stage actor, primarily back east. Worked at that uh, very steadily for a long time, and then I just got a little disillusioned with the lifestyle that came along with being an actor. Um, I tried my hand at writing, and I had good luck. So right around, I guess around 1990, I think I sold my, it was the first thing I ever wrote, I sold, and I, I just wow. had beginner's luck, and it, and it went. And then it just sort of happened. I didn't really make a conscious decision, and suddenly I was a writer. What was that project back in the Oh, I wrote a stage play. Um, I was actually out here in California doing a little bit of TV work, and I... I just wrote a stage play, and then I went back to New York, and it was a play called Dearly Departed was the name of it, mm. and it had um, a, a, a modest run off-Broadway. Oh. It, it never exactly packed the houses, but it got terrific reviews. We got great write-ups. And, what and kind of it, genre it, was it? It was, a, it was a comedy. It oh. was a comedy about um, a funeral in a small town, and, uh, and then that actually led to me writing a second play, which got uh, produced about maybe a year later in New York, which also got a little attention from me, but sort of attention, but no money, which is often the playwright's <laughs> dilemma. <laughs> and uh, right around then, I was getting calls from Los Angeles, and um, I came out here. I flew out and for what I thought was going to be a three-month job, and that led to another job, which led to another, and I just wound up living out here and working as a writer in L.A. Oh. And occasionally, um, once in a while, people that I knew um, who were either other writers who were showrunners or um, sometimes casting directors who remembered me from my, my days in New York would call up. And so occasionally over like the last you know 15 years or so, I would do some small thing on a TV show. And sometimes I didn't even have to audition for it because it was quite literally that small. It was like mm. man number two. Oh. <laughs> and so I would come in and say my two funny lines on a sitcom you know, get my laugh, and then that was that. And it was a, a pretty easy paycheck, actually. And it was fun to do. It was fun to go back to it. But I, I didn't really ever plan on returning to acting, and I didn't think, I didn't, I stopped thinking of myself as being an actor. And um, when this came up, actually, um, I was um, in the middle of, I, I had written and directed a short film, which was getting very popular on the festival circuit. And I was actually about to leave town to go to Palm Springs for a festival when the phone rang. And it was Nikki Valco from who's the casting director on Boston Legal, who I've known for 100 years. And she said, do you want to come in and audition for this, this, this really strange little role? And it's just one scene and one episode. And no. <laughs> um, it's no big deal. And uh, it would be fun. You and can squeeze I, it in before the festival, right? Exactly, exactly, exactly. And I said, you know, I, I really don't want to do that. But thanks anyway. Uh, I'm really busy right now. And I'm leaving town for the weekend. And it just, it just wouldn't be convenient. And thanks for thinking of me. God, you turned it down. I did. <laughs> and God bless her. Um, she was persistent, and she said, come on, come on, I'll get you in early, it'll all work out. And so I agreed to you come in. You made her in. want you more. <laughs> <laughs> I, this was, I think, on a Thursday, and I came in on Friday. Ah. And um, true to her word, she did get me in early. I didn't quite realize the show, uh, I guess, was in a little bit of a state of chaos, because there was they had added two characters, and they were having to reshoot a lot of episodes and jumble a lot of plot lines, and... And so whoever got this role had to sort of start work immediately. Mm. And when I went into the room to audition, generally there are not a lot of people present in an audition. Mm. But when I went into the room to audition for Lincoln, there were a ton of people in there. I, there must have been 15 people in the room. So that was a little startling. But anyway, Do you know I what that's down. owed to? I mean, were people that... Um, I think it was because you? everybody had to sort of start work right away. Like, uh -huh. uh, you know, I think the costumer was literally in the room. <laughs> ah, measuring you. <laughs> because they had to know, you know, who they were going to be costuming. So there were a lot of people in the room. And um, like I said, luckily, uh, and Bill D'Elia was directing the episode, so he's who I primarily dealt with. And, and mm. um, they liked the audition. They thought it was funny, and he asked me to do it again. And we played around with a couple of things. 
and they just kept laughing. They just kept laughing at everything that I was doing. And so I left the audition and somebody came out and said, can you hang around for a couple of hours? <laughs> can you like hang around in the general neighborhood? Because the show is taped in Manhattan Beach, which is uh, maybe 45 minutes outside of uh, L.A. proper. Mm-hmm. It was also right in the middle of rush hour and all that. And they said, you know what, if you could just hang around in, in Manhattan Beach for a couple hours, it would be a good idea. Wow. <laughs> and I said, okay. <laughs> and so I hung around in Manhattan Beach for two hours and they called and said, can you go straight to wardrobe? Oh, wow. <laughs> so I did. I went straight to wardrobe and then and then I was literally on the show on Monday morning at like the crack of dawn. For at this and, point, your one scene, probably the one you used and that you auditioned with. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, um, but it, there was a slight change in it because suddenly I, I realized, like even by the time I got there, that they were they were going to write Lincoln in for a second episode. Uh-huh. And then and then suddenly it just it started to sort of snowball from there. It's like each week he was back, he was back, he was back, and suddenly he became very integral to the to the murder case. And um, I started out as sort of a witness uh, and then became a suspect, which I'm sure everybody remembers that, the whole sort of Scott Little, Marsha Hooper murder case. Yes. At that point, you were in for a couple um, episodes. How, when yeah, did you I, did you just get a, a, another bunch of sides the next week? Or, you know, how did that well, work Well, you know, they, they, I would get the call each week. Mm. I'd be in the middle of uh, taping an episode and I would get a call saying, All right, you know, we need to make sure that you're available. We need to book you for the following week. I pretty well caught on that I was going to go for the run of the Marsha Hooper murder trial because I clearly had become a suspect after, I think, the third episode. So I knew I was going to be on for the rest of that, <laughs> that particular trial. And um, there were a bunch of you know, actors, uh, myself and Ashton Holmes and Katie Seagal and Ethan Phillips and Curtis Armstrong and Armin Shimmerman. We were all, it was like an Agatha Christie murder mystery. We were, we were all suspects. Yes. So we all knew we were going to be around for the length of that trial. It's like a little and subfamily of the exactly, Los Angeles. Exactly. Trials. And long about, like, probably around the fourth, episode of that, maybe, third or fourth, mm-hmm. um, I got a call um, from uh, David Kelly's office finding out if I was available to stay on the show after that for a little while. And that was, you know, I I was stunned and <laughs> said, well, yes, of, of course I would love to. And, um, and then that, of course, sprung off onto the whole Lincoln going on a crime spree. Wow. And meanwhile, you're, of course, forget the festivals. I mean, what's happening to Available Men, which is your, <laughs> your film? <laughs> you know? It sort of got on the back burner a little bit there. <laughs> well, you know, it. it uh, fortunately, the good thing about having made a movie is it sort of goes on and does its thing whether you're around or not. Um, uh. Uh, but yeah, it's had. Uh, that's a little short film that I made last year. I wrote it and directed it, and it's had a very blessed life. It uh, it debuted at the um, HBO Comedy Festival about a year ago, mm. <clears throat> which is a big deal comedy festival that happens in Aspen, Colorado, and it just did really well there, and suddenly it sort of took off on the festival circuit, and it has now been... I believe now it's like a hundred film festivals we've been in. Oh my goodness! And we've won. Actually, we just won our thirteenth award no. last weekend for oh. best short film. So it's been it's been great. It's been congratulations. Phenomenal. Thank you. Thanks That's very incredible. much. Incredible. And I hope you're seeing some good residuals from that. Well, you know, I, the, the film festival circuit doesn't really pay anything, but it, the good news is it's very rare for a, a short film to wind up being purchased by a distributor. But we were, and oh. so we were we were purchased. We were put on a uh, compilation of short films uh, that got released in January. And so now I'm beginning to get a little little bit of money for that. Um, so I'll probably break even in the end. <laughs> <laughs> that's all you can hope for. But Absolutely. With a short goodness. film, that's fantastic. Well, Lincoln, you know, is this going to help you a little bit carry over from that. That's your, that's your bread been, and butter. <laughs> exactly. It's been amazing. And that, that little short film is actually sort of, I mean, I, it was something I wanted to do for a long time. And now as a result of that, it looks like I'm going to get to direct this feature that I wrote. So it's, it's been a great blessing all the way around. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's been fantastic. I want to jump back into Lincoln. I want to get more yeah, toward please. the things that are coming up in your future projects in a minute. But sure. uh, just so everybody doesn't forget what Lincoln sounds like, I want to play another soundbite. And this one, <laughs> I thought, really sort of spells out the contradiction that is Lincoln. He's sure. many different things depending on the situation. Sure. You know why she got a restraining order against you? Oh, that was the husband's idea. I think he felt a bit threatened by, well, you know. What? The infatuation. She was drawn to me. It was never consummated, of course. I'm deeply Christian. Judge Pooper was infatuated with you. It's not something I feel comfortable talking about. 
<laughs> he's, a, he's deeply Christian because later he says, you know, she was biblical with Scott Little. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and he's pretty effeminate. Like, we, we know that the direction had you perform like that. And, sure. Uh, what is Lincoln's backstory? Why do you think he is the person he is today? Is this what he wants everybody to think? I, well, you know, um, there, there wasn't much backstory written. Uh, there were a couple of um, references that wound like occasionally you'll see a first draft of a script and then later on it it changes and in, in one of the first drafts of one of the episodes later on <clears throat> Lincoln referred to uh, having come from a wealthy family and that uh-huh. his mother was very wealthy and that um, she had passed away and now he was very wealthy which is pretty much what I kind of assumed all along was that that Lincoln was you know had some bucks because clearly he's not capable of holding a job. <laughs> <laughs> He was catering the deposition as well. Exactly. And he lives in a very nice house and seems to, you know, do what he wants to do. So I, I, my assumption was always he just came from a very wealthy and very eccentric background. All right. And Christian. <laughs> yes. And, you know, his version of that. His version of that. The God sword will strike you. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh, well. Mm-hmm. Well, we've, we've kind of covered that you've been on for this extended arc, this eight-episode arc, which was more than you had expected when you were well, called I'll in say. to zip in on that Thursday. Um, and I just wanted to note that you're the longest-running guest star, apart from Betty White, who's been in 14. And this arc saw you go, as you said, from uh, a trial witness to the Plan B suspect to your countersuit, and yeah. then you became the serial whacker, and, yeah. <laughs> which is not what it sounds like. And... Uh, and then you became, oh, the final scene, the, the kidnapping scene, which I hope by yeah. now everybody has seen. Yeah. Also, we were treated to the vocal stylings of Lincoln. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so with all those wonderful different emotional ranges and stuff, what do you right. think is your favorite scene or episode? Wow. Uh, you know, I, I have to, t- you know, when I, when I was leaving the show, I, was, um, I had a quick conversation with uh, Bill DeLeo when we were shooting the very last day when I was leaving. And I, and I told him, which is absolutely the truth, it's one of the most fun things I've ever done in my life was to be on Boston Legal for that length of time just because we just got to do so many different things during those eight episodes. And David Kelly is such an imaginative writer and so many of it, every time I would get a script, I couldn't quite believe, you know, where we were going next with this. And I know that when we started out, I, I just sort of, I thought, well, this is just sort of this brittle, kind of funny, quirky, creepy, you know, character. And I never suspected that people, I mean, I sort of thought that people would think he was creepy, but I didn't know that people would eventually come to really feel fond of him, which has really been the oddest part, is I've gotten so much mail from people who really really love Lincoln for some reason. <laughs> and, you know, I, I remember when we were, I think we were shooting, um, I think we were shooting the episode called, we'd already shot the episode, which was the Halloween episode, which I think was called Trick, Trick or, or Treat or something. Yeah. That was already in the can, and we were shooting the next one, and I got a call saying that David had, um, David Kelly had watched the episode and wanted to add a scene. And so they were going to messenger over a scene that night, and we were going to shoot it at like the crack of dawn the next day and put it into the trick-or-treat episode. Hmm. And so the scene came, and I looked at it, and it was the scene that, um, if you might remember this, it was um, when Craig Bierko and I have this little scene in the hallway where, where uh, oh, I, yes. I say, you know, I, I have feelings. And it was so poignant, and it was so sad, and it was so unlike anything that I had seen or expected to do you know, on that show, because the character had up to that point been so kind of, you know, brittle and comedic. And it was really touching. And, and we shot at the crack of dawn. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and lo and behold, they, they put it in the episode, they, they turned it around, I think it was in the episode, like six days later, the episode aired with that scene in it. And it was a very different take. It, I mean, he, he really seemed, Lincoln suddenly seemed like he was on top of being all these other things that he was crazy and unpredictable and funny and, you know, uh, caustic. And relentless, he was also sort of, you know, human and sad too. So it was very surprising. And then they they sort of revisited that a little bit at the end when I when I had kidnapped Candace. And so it was such a great, you know, it was such a great experience because we got to sort of go all over the map. Lincoln, who seemed to be this kind of like not particularly real character at first, became sort of strangely sort of real. I mean, you kind of started to believe that such a person could exist after a while, you know. Oh, I know. It was lovely. It was really a lovely I, experience. I really liked that scene. That was what I called the sensitive Lincoln. And, and actually, let's, let's just play it right now because it just seems appropriate. Lincoln? Hello, Mr. Dirty Mouth. 
come to make me an offer of settlement before the judge rules against you, I'm not surprised. Been watching you for a bit, Lincoln. Sitting here. Really? Are you a bit of a peepee? You seemed sad. You seemed alone, I guess. Did I? You must have misread me. What's going on, Lincoln? This lawsuit, what are you doing? Is this just about attention? You don't think I have feelings. Those things you said about me in court. I have feelings, Mr. Coho. I'm sorry. I was just doing whatever I could to defend my client. It wasn't personal. It was very personal. That was sweet. Um, You know, following that scene, and it was all part of the you being a suspect and such. You, I have to just pull this out now because this is one of my favorite scenes. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. Lincoln going uh, to the police lineup. He was suspect number four. Oh right, right. Right. Now I saw I saw the direction that was it was simply Lincoln poses. You right. know, try try to draw his attention to himself. And at one right. point, they did say, "Did they ask you to strike a pose?" Right. They referred to Rodan's the thinker. Right. But the rest was you, I yes. assume. So yes, tell was. me a little bit about that, and then also tell us about the surprise moment that probably no one caught at the end oh, of this. Oh, right, right. Um, well, I, the I have to say, the people at Boston Legal I, were so kind to me I, I, and so supportive because. I had not done this in a very long time, and I, I'm I'm very grateful that the role sort of got progressively larger because I was able to sort of gain in confidence as we went. And occasionally, I would sort of turn to whoever was directing or whoever one of the producers were on the set, and, and I would say, "Am I? Is this a little big? Am I still going out into left field here?" <laughs> and they were very encouraging. They would say, "No, no, no. It's great. It's great. Go, go, go. Take the ball and run with it." And um, that was certainly one of those days when we when we shot the lineup scene. Um, they just sort of said, "Well, do whatever you want to do, and uh, you know, and, and we'll stop you if we think it's you know way off um, uh, way off beat. But otherwise, just go for it." And so we just did it. We just like walked in there, and the the poor actors who were um, on the other side of the screen had never seen it before we shot it. And so um, there were a couple of instances where they were sort of cracking up on the other side of it or having a little difficulty, you know, uh, keeping their composure when I was doing all those poses. <laughs> but uh, they just said, go for it. And so I did. And uh, it was hilariously funny. And, and when we were shooting, Bill D'Elia came onto the set and he tapped one of the extras on the on the uh, shoulder and said, let me let me step in for you. And so he stepped in right behind me. And when we went in for the police lineup, suddenly Bill D'Elia was in the lineup. And it, unbelievably, nobody noticed it at first. <laughs> <laughs> not even the, the actors. Not the- even the other act. Nobody sort of noticed it at first that Bill was standing behind me in the lineup. <laughs> and then uh, they actually sent it to the network with Bill's uh, uh, appearance also there. And nobody noticed it at the network either. <laughs> and so then they just decided to just put it in the show. So <laughs> oh, really? Watch, do, you, do you think it wasn't maybe meant to go all the way? <laughs> I, I, it was not originally intended. It was, yeah. was going to be an inside joke yeah. uh, originally. Like and then bloopers or something. Exactly. And then no one noticed. If you look very carefully at that episode, you'll see that the guy behind me mysteriously disappears and is replaced by Bill D'Elia. But um, it was just hilarious, actually. That is really great. And actually, if anybody who's listening wants to see that, go to boston-legal.org and click on the Lincoln. This is the Lincoln episode, I believe. Or Yeah, yeah, that's right. And yeah. um, and we have the shot of just Bill standing there <laughs> behind you, <laughs> a suspect number five. That was great. Well, thank you for telling me that story. That was sure, great. sure. Um, I just Lincoln has signature lines, and I just want to run through a couple of them, sure. several of them. And I know that they were pinned by David E. Kelly and his co-writers on some occasion. And uh, am I correct in saying you were not allowed to come up with ideas? Or were you, actually, with some uh, of these? You know, it, that show is extremely well written, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it doesn't really need a lot of help. <laughs> and so, um, it, it, you know, I'm, I'm actually, speaking as a writer myself, I'm happy that they tend to try to um, 
uh, I wouldn't say police, but they do try. They do encourage the actors on that show to to do the lines pretty much exactly as written, right? Because it, they're wonderful lines, and I, and sometimes speaking as a writer, I can say that it, sometimes it is important the way a line is written, and if it it does need to come out the way it's typed on the page, mm-hmm. it, there and may so, be a payoff later on too. In, in exactly. The first time exactly. you said I'm a pee pee, well, it, right. <laughs> It exactly. was kind of a reoccurring theme. So um, they were, they were for the most part, they were, uh, they were pretty. Uh, uh, they encouraged us, strongly encouraged us <laughs> <laughs> to say the lines as written. Oh come but on! I never they just told you because I thought they were to. great lines. <laughs> do it or you're fired. You're gonna do it. <laughs> Nobody ever said that. <laughs> no, no. Okay. Anyway, you did a great job with it. Your talent showed through with all the mannerisms and stuff, and that's Thank where you. Thank you. Can Thanks fly. very much. Well, here's a, one of Lincoln's more funny signature lines. To see them doing it through the window. I'm a peepee. You're a peeping Tom. And <laughs> that, right. that continues on. In fact, later in Trick or Treat, you mentioned that was the Halloween episode. Right. Mr. Meyer. Well, he implied I was a pedophile, a freak who should be registered as a sex offender when I've committed no such offense. And even if I had, which I most certainly have not, to suggest that I'm a killer, a murderer... That Gracie Jane woman reported it in front of millions of people, and I was damaged. What about this peeping Tom crap? I am an open and notorious peepee. Why, when I would send her flowers, I used to write, with love from your little peepee. And she liked having a peepee, and even if she didn't, it doesn't give these lawyer people a right to aver that I'm a killer. I mean, look at me, Judge. I'm damaged. Just the perfect amount of indignation there. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and such diction. Oh, my goodness. You, you definitely give Spader a run for his diction money. Why, thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> it's all part of that moral outrage of being a peepee. It's my constitutional right. That, the, um, uh, that particular episode, um, I, I think I mentioned we added a scene to it. Mm. And um, there, was a, there was a second scene that was also added, which is a beautiful scene. Um, between um, James Spader and Christian Clemenson, where, if you know the episode, it's, it's where they're both facing the camera. They're sitting on the same side of the table. And it's very poignant also where um, James Spader is telling uh, Christian Clemenson that most probably they're going to lose the case. And it's very, very sweet. And, and because those two scenes were added, um, they had to do quite a bit of editing on the existing episode. Oh. And that little scene, for instance, where I'm defending myself in front of the judge, a- actually was that was probably... Uh, maybe twice as long as it turned out in the actual oh. episode. And so we actually lost some material out of that, which was also quite funny, but you would never know that just watching the episode. Oh, that just kills me. I want those hours and hours of deleted scenes <laughs> so much. Oh, I'm glad to hear you. Thank you for teasing me badly. Oh. <laughs> well, there were a couple of very funny things in that one that, that just sort of wound up having to, to go, but, but it, it was fine. I mean, actually, it, it, uh, it, the things that went in were so wonderful that it, it was an easy call. No, oh, editors have a hard job, I bet. They do. They do. They definitely do. You don't just go through and do a one take, I imagine. There's different angles and... Stop. Yeah, I know you do it quite a few times. Um, so actually, hours. And, and particularly when there are a large number of actors involved, it gets you know quite complicated. The the courtroom scenes are uh, particularly involved, just because there's so many different people in right. them. Um, and even a uh, a relatively short scene, if there's if there's like, I remember there was one thing that was wasn't a terribly complex scene. There wasn't that much to it really, but there were something like five of us, and we were standing. It was like me and and Candace and. Uh, Mark Valley, well, everybody, almost everybody was in it. <laughs> and we were all sort of standing in front of the receptionist desk. Mm, yeah. And it just took quite a bit of time because the camera has to spin around so many different ways to make sure we catch everybody. So uh, it, it can take some time. And Boston Legal uh, has a very definite visual style. Mm-hmm. They always do some shots that are um, done on a steady cam or they're done um, handheld. And uh, they, they do these things where the camera suddenly whips around from one thing to another. It's suddenly looking at one person's face or it's, it's focusing on their hand or some little thing they're doing. And mm-hmm. then it'll whip up to their face or someone else's face. And uh, so there's, uh, there's quite a bit of camera work involved in doing that. So, yeah, we do quite a few takes of everything. Wow. You know, that, that scene you're talking about, I think I've got the right one. I wanted to play it because it also caused quite a bit of intense speculation on oh, the yeah. community. Yes, so yeah. So this is the scene where... Uh, 
you haven't arrived yet. You're coming in to prepare for the de- or let them know there's going to be this deposition. Tell them the, the catering is coming, and uh, yeah, and this is in trick or treat. And Shirley yeah. is there talking to Brad. You know, catch me up on the case. You know, yeah. what's what's up with Lincoln? You know, who's going to represent him? Right, right. Let's just play it, and then I, I wanted to ask you about something that happened right at the end of this. Sure. <laughs> and who's representing this? charming man. That's the most fun part of all. I'm representing myself, Shirley, like Gideon. I hope you'll all join me for Judge Hooper's deposition. Refreshments will, of course, be served. Oh, it's all too delicious for words, don't you think? I've got a caterer coming in 20 minutes, and I want the conference room clean and I as, as the music ascends, you know, you're, you're giving right. direction to the receptionist. Right, And right. at the same time... Spader, which, or I should say Alan Shore, who I don't think you had any actual dialogue scenes with. No. He, this is the one time where he's in the room with you, and he's, like you said, hours and hours. Right. And he gives you this, you actually don't stare back. He's looking at you like, hmm, right. who is this guy? And it's actually a, a scary stare. And we all thought, oh, my God, we're talking in the forum. This is something's coming. Something's coming of this. He sees right through the man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I got <clears throat> I actually got some letters asking me about that. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. When you're shooting these things, <laughs> sometimes you have no idea what the camera is looking at at that particular moment or how it's going to wind up being edited in the end. Mm-hmm. And all I really remember from that day was I, after I said my little piece to everybody, I was supposed to go over to the receptionist and improvise with her until we went out, of, until the scene essentially faded out. Improvise? Wow. You yeah, yeah. Say- so I just went over and I started dictating all these things to her that, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, what I wanted her to do and clean the conference room and blah, 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 whatever, you know, whatever I was saying. And I didn't even really know what the camera was on at that moment. As it turns out, it was on James's face. <laughs> so when the I was completely unaware he was even staring at me. I had no uh-huh. idea. So uh, whatever that moment was that was happening there, I, I think it was just, uh, you know, David, I mean, one of the most interesting things about the show, I think, is that David doesn't always know what he's going to do, from mm. what I gather. I mean, I think he, um, he likes to keep a lot of doors open, mm. uh, you know, plot-wise. Mm-hmm. And I think that was yet another sort of opportunity that, you know, who, who knows what he might think of next week that might involve Alan Shore and, and Lincoln Meyer. So I think he was just sort of creating a little moment there so that in case he did write something later, yeah. um, it would make sense. There'd be some connection um, because he, he does tend to leave, uh, you know, a few little uh, trap doors open here and there in every episode. Okay. All right. Well, this might be a good time to actually, David, talk a bit about your colleagues that you acted with and mm-hmm. everybody wants to you know everybody has their favorite person everybody wants to hear sure. what your take is on working opposite some of them and sure. uh, a lot of your scenes were with Shirley uh Candace Bergen oh wow right. <laughs> and Craig Bierko like you said yeah. and I'm interested on your take on both I wanted to actually play this one scene with Shirley you, you Lincoln has become taken with her she's a right. named partner and pleasant to the eyes and you know he loves these older dignified women, I believe, mm-hmm. including the judge. And for a moment, Bella. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just for a moment, though, Shirley. <laughs> that was good. So I do want to play a little bit of Sinister Lincoln, what I call sure. one of the many faces of Lincoln. This is sure. um, with his own very unique way of asking Shirley out on a date. Yes. You look like you're primping for a date. I certainly hope it's with me. Lincoln, what are you doing here? I feel our special relationship has stalled, Shirley, don't you? I had a brief thought of that, Bella, I admit. But my mind always comes back to you. I don't know if anyone's ever told you this before, Lincoln, but you're a pretty weird guy. Daddy Crane was lovely, but I feel you and I could sustain a deeper connection. See, the thing is, you don't need a lawyer. The police don't consider you a suspect. That's little comfort. What if someone else were to turn up dead? Could I persuade you to get a bite with me, Shirley? You could not. Would it help if I had a pistol? Oh, dear. I bet if this were a movie, we'd have one of those ominous chords play right about now. What are you doing, Lincoln? What you're going to do is walk out of here with me, calmly and without incident. You and I need to get on with our special friendship, Shirley Schmidt. Lincoln, you're nuts, but you're not this nuts. Tonight's date is with me, after all, Shirley Schmidt. And you have a gun in your hand. Ooh, you see that. Oh, scary. The scary lighting. Lincoln. 
<laughs> the lighting in that scene and, and some of the scenes in your basement were you know, very ominous too. Absolutely. You were in silhouette, dark. Absolutely. Oh man. As a, as a director and a person who, who makes films, you probably appreciated that. I did. I <laughs> did actually. I loved actually the intro to that scene where it was sort of from Lincoln's point of view where he was sort of stalking Shirley through the oh, office. Yes. That was very creepy. That was. Talk to us just a little bit about Candace Bergen and, and did you guys like kid each other or were you just professionals and you just came in and did your scenes? Uh, you know, I, I, I'm so happy that everything um, timed out schedule-wise the way that it did, because the first time I, I mean, I, I had met her like in the hallway or, or in the coffee uh, station or something. I didn't, I never really spoken with her other than to say good morning or hello, but um, I hadn't really worked with her until um, I think it was the trick-or-treat episode. Um, and the opening scene, it's Craig Bierko and her and me in her office. Right. And um, I was so glad that Craig Bierko was in the scene because I was scared to death, um, <laughs> honestly, because she's such, I, I mean, everybody, just, I, I, don't, I don't know if everybody feels this way, but I, I just love her. And I, I was terribly intimidated to actually act in a scene with Candace Bergen. Oh, yeah. And so I was very happy that Craig was there because I'd done a lot of scenes with Craig by that point. So I was very comfortable with him. And. And she was charming. She was completely charming. And and she hadn't actually. Um, I mean, she was asking me questions about like where did you come up with the accent, and she was just she was just so gracious and sweet, and <clears throat> thought was thought what I was doing was funny and all that. So it was it was a nice intro. And so then we came back and shot the scene where I kidnapped her, and then we spent um, an extremely long time together in the basement. <laughs> it was she couldn't have been sweeter, and. Um, uh, you know, and she was unfortunately tied to a chair for the entire, you know, 16 hours or whatever it was we were down there. Oh, my goodness. So it was a little difficult for her, but uh, <laughs> she was very quite the trooper about it. And, you know, she's everything that you would imagine her to be. She is um, very classy, very smart, um, very gracious person, and, always, and very interested in the world and interested in, in other people. And uh, she's, she's a very private person. She doesn't volunteer a lot about herself, but... I just adored her. I thought she was the best. I, I got to tell you, yes. uh, you know, in my very limited experience of doing guest shots on TV shows, sometimes you wind up in situations that are not so terribly comfortable where, uh, where there's tension or people have worked together for a long time and they don't really like each other that much anymore. Mm. And I found the set at Boston Legal to be one of the happiest places I've worked in terms of everybody being, you know, sane and, and pleasant and uh, professional and, Everybody just seemed to get along, and, and the agenda, hmm. the primary agenda is to make the show good. They are proud of the show. They want the show to be good. And so it has a funny way of sort of neutralizing any sort of ego issues. And so Fantastic. people come there happy to be at work. Wow. And, um, and everyone was gracious. Everybody was lovely. I, everybody was so friendly and nice to me, and um, I, I adored everybody. And um, I think the first scene I shot with Julie Bowen, um, she was terribly sick the night that we shot it. Mm. And uh, and like we were like standing in the wings ready to go on, and she was clearly terribly ill. She was like bent over and not well. Oh. And I I like would whisper her, "Do you do you want me to stop? Do you want me to tell them that you're not able to do this?" And she was, "No, no, no, I'm fine, I'm fine." And we would shoot it. And she would somehow like pull it together, and we would do it. And then we went off a second time, and she looked like she was going to barf like any second. And she was holding a legal pad, and she wrote on it, "I'm pregnant. Don't tell anyone." <gasps> <Damn And>, <laughs> David, I'm so amazed. I said, don't worry. I'm not telling anybody. And um, she didn't actually wind up announcing that until, I guess, a little later. But wow. I, I was Except little... you knew it. There's some, well, see, you were so thoughtful. I was going to say, this is more about you and why everybody felt so good toward you is because you thought enough to lean down and say, you know, are you okay? Would you like me to intercede on your behalf and stop right. this? And she probably was so grateful. She's, that connection. she's an extremely sweet and funny, oh. funny gal and um so anyway a little later it became you know public knowledge that she was pregnant but i was very surprised that she took me into her confidence at that moment and so i i never betrayed it i kept my mouth shut oh and you wrote it she wrote it on a pad <laughs> yeah exactly and, and, like, then ate it. and scratched it out <laughs> yeah okay. um, but everyone was great uh craig bierko is you know unfortunately not on the show anymore uh, oh. but he is very possibly one of the funniest people i've ever met in my life oh. uh, in in a um in a robin williams like ADD, sort of incredible, oh, fast fantastic. kind of way. He's one of the funniest people I've ever met. And Bill Shatner is also incredibly funny in a very different sort of off-the-cuff kind of way. He's one of those guys that can sort of say something, and it takes you two beats to realize that was a joke. <laughs> uh, he's just 
so sort clever. Sort of deadpan, and, and you know, he's not looking for the reaction. And exactly, <laughs> exactly. And very dry, and mm-hmm. um, just an interesting man to boot. I mean, he, he loves horses, and he's, he has so many varied interests, and he's a bit of an environmentalist, and he's just a really interesting mm-hmm. guy. And uh, everybody was great. Constance was a scream, you know? Oh, yes. Constance Zimmer, you were in a lot with her. Yeah, yeah. No, she was a scream. I loved her. Mark Valley, like you? Mark Valley was terrific. He, I had the dressing room next to him. He plays the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> And really you played nice the ukulele. Guy. It could have been a jam you session. You played the ukulele that I'm aware of anyway. <laughs> and um, everyone was great. I didn't really work very much with James, but James was mm-hmm. also very, very nice. Uh, I, uh, he, he, I think it was after, I want to say the Trick or Treat episode or something like that, he actually called me at home because he had seen the episode and, and thought that I had done a nice job in it. And I thought that was very, very nice of him. Wow, that is to, nice. To take the time to do that. and. So in a way, it is true. Every actor in Hollywood has everybody else in their phone book, right? <laughs> There's well, the secret I, actor I phone book out there. <laughs> I, I don't have James in my phone book, but um, right. but James, you know, got my number from the production yours. office and was kind enough to call me, and uh, I thought that was very, very nice of him. We've done such a good job running down all the the cast. I want to hear just a few words about the creatives because mm-hmm. you're a writer. How was it working for you know saying the words of one of the trinity of television writers? Yeah. And, um, did David e. Kelly ever make his presence known on the set? Or um, I never met David, oh, um, and darn. I gather that's not terribly unusual. Right. Um, I think even the people who have been on that show for a long time can probably count on one hand the number of times they've met David. <laughs> um, he seems to be a pretty reclusive guy. Um, but my goodness, I mean the scripts were always so entertaining and so surprising and um i i really have come to appreciate that since i left boston legal because i've been asked to audition here and there for other tv shows mm-hmm. and when that's happened and i've gone in and seen the scripts i've I, i've been largely disappointed in the quality of them you know i got sort of spoiled working over at boston legal where the scripts were always so terrific so it, it was it was great and i i do know that you know in, in our case um the majority of the scripts were written by Boston Legal. There were a couple, I think, in the, a couple of the eight that I worked on. There were one of them, I think, Janet Leahy worked on, who's one of the head writers there. And mm-hmm. there was another one that someone else worked on. I can't remember who now. Um, but it, and there was uh, there was one time when we were in a little bit of a bind because we needed something rewritten that wasn't quite working, and the writing staff came in and did a marvelous job. Oh. And um, actually, it was the scene where I called um, William Shatner Large Marge, which I thought was just hilarious. <laughs> and that didn't and come from David E. Kelly. That was one of the writing staff. That was from the writing staff, yeah. <laughs> Large Marge. I love and, that. Um, they're, they're just, they were amazing. And um, I ran into um, Janet, actually, at an event not too long ago, Janet Leahy. And um, we just had a lovely talk about, um, about the show and about... And, I, and I, didn't, I was never really sure exactly, because you know, sometimes... You know, things are polished and so forth by writing staff, and it, the name on the page doesn't necessarily reflect the words that you're reading. Mm. And um, and she told me that I, that at least in my case, that I guess David had written I pretty much you know 99.9% of what Lincoln said had been written by David. And it it was I'll tell you at a certain point it was a little intimidating because you know I started out as an actor hired into it, and then I realized at a certain point David was writing these scenes. And with me in mind, based on your interpretation of Lincoln, oh, well, yeah, yeah. It's, fu- it's funny because it it seemed like um, at first I sort of thought it was my imagination, and then a couple of other write- or a couple of other other actors expressed the same thing. It's like, it's like he sort of gets he's such a wonderful writer that part of what makes him wonderful is he does kind of pick up um, what an actor's sort of strong points are, so what their rhythm is, and then starts to write to that rhythm. And so this, it just felt like the scenes kept getting better and better, and they were more and more fun to play. And it was just wonderful. It was mm-hmm. a wonderful experience. The producing staff also and the directing staff is just, you know, just off the chart, um, professional and considerate and encouraging. And for somebody like me, I, I, I relied pretty heavily on them. I mean, I, I went to pretty much every director that we worked with and said, feel free to tell me anything because I'm very much the new kid on the block here and I would love to hear anything you have to say. And, um, and as I said, the only thing they ever said to me was, was encouraging. It was just really wonderful. Um, So I had a great time. Yeah. All your directors, I'm just looking at the list, uh, were, are the veteran directors, you know, you've got, of course, Bill D'Elia a couple of times and Steve Robin has done a bunch and Lou Antonio, who's done so much in television. I mean, from like 30 years or something. Oh, wow. He was such a charming guy. I got to tell you, he was really, (laughs) Really much beloved by the actors as well. He was really, really, um, how about I, he's such a wonderful spirit, Lou. Oh, well, you know, since I just hate the clock right now because we're running out of time and I want to definitely 
get to one more scene, which is the ending, and um, mm-hmm. and then talk a little bit about what you're going to do in the future sure. yourself as David, not as Lincoln. Sure. But um, one thing that I thought when you said the directors gave you the direction of having fun, I immediately thought of your serenading Shirley because only Lincoln <laughs> would do that, you know. And I, I could just imagine if it really was David E. Kelly, he's he's the twisted mind that thought up the chipmunk song mm-hmm. should come out of Lincoln's mouth. Mm-hmm. And so I, I want to play both sure. times. You sang them twice in the episode, but I just have time for one. So here's the sure. one you did just before, well, as the SWAT team was converging sure. on the outside. Sure. <laughs> <coughs> want a plane that loops the loop me, I want a hula hoop. We can hardly stand the weight. Please, Christmas, don't be late. Yeah. Um, yeah I have to ask, because someone told me I had to ask. Sure. Do you play the ukulele? I don't play the ukulele. <laughs> <laughs> so that was just a little stunt. <laughs> that was, uh, there, was a, there was a wonderful guy there who played the ukulele for me. Oh. And um, that was pre-recorded. And, um, and we did a little rehearsal before we shot anything. And um, there was a little speaker on the set sort of hidden behind me that played the accompaniment. And I just sort of faked my way through. Now, and did you pre-record your singing as well? So you just lip No, no, we sung live. Oh, um, I gotcha. We sung live on the set. Oh. Um, just the ukulele part was pre-recorded. And... Um, it was very fun to do that. No, when you <laughs> when you opened the the script that day, when you saw what you that you were going to be singing, did you? How did you feel about that? Well, you somebody saw? called me and oh. told me about it ahead of time because everybody was just screaming with laughter because it was such a funny idea. <laughs> and so I, I had I was forewarned what it was going to be. Um, and originally there were two other Christmas songs, and I can't remember what they were now. Um, but it was two sort of traditional kind of Christmas songs that I was singing, and then it was changed to the Alvin and Chipmunk song. <laughs> and when they sent me um, uh, the, uh, like an MP3 to learn it off of, the version they sent me was by Vonda Shepard. And oh, I yeah. wondered if maybe they had used it on Ally McBeal at some point. I, I, it crossed my mind. I don't remember it, but maybe they did. Um, but anyways, that was the first version of it that I heard. But I, I believe it was David's idea to use it, but I, I don't know that for sure. But it certainly was funny in the episode, and, and what a scream. It was and, good. You, of course, had to do a little stunt work as well. I'm coming up to the last few scenes of On the Ledge, which was your last uh, episode yeah. to date. We don't know if there'll be more. Yeah, um, well, we'll cross our fingers. <laughs> we will. You were feeding her, and she headbutted okay. you in the nose. Yeah. So you yeah. had to like somehow have this blood come through your fingers, and right. um, I, I'm sure that was fun, as well as a little bit of a body slamming when you took the, not the bullet, but right. the crossbow. Right. I was watching that to this morning, and here you are, like, kind of like staggering back just a moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, that the uh, uh, the headbutting thing is one of those one of those funny um, miracles of camera work. In that, Candace's head was really not all that terribly close to mine. It's just <laughs> the way that the camera is positioned. And at the time that we shot it, I I thought, is this working? You know, I actually said that, I expressed that. And Candace said, Oh, trust me, this is going to work fine because she's been in front of a camera since she was like twenty years old, and and she knows much better than I what's going to carry and what doesn't. And I, and then it looked, of course, fantastic when we saw it on on television. And then uh, the blood was obviously we you know we cut away, which is the miracle of editing. You can sort of cut away and then do whatever you want to do. And so they sort of bloodied me up for when I took my <laughs> hand away. And the um, arrow was uh, um, that was kind of a long night. We were having some technical difficulties with the arrow. Um, so I, I don't really remember how many thousands of times we had to do that. <laughs> but <laughs> it was a long night, I will oh, say that, because um, oh, the arrow, for whatever reasons, would not come out straight. It, it, was, it was coming out at a weird angle, and so it, it didn't look like it was going through me, so we had to go, do quite a few takes of that. Oh, um, great. And, but we eventually got it, but it was a kind of a long evening. And then you had to drop on your knees probably con- you know, over and over again. You know? Yes, I did. I, I sure did, and that, it, that was... It, that, like I said, it was a, it was a difficult evening that night, <laughs> but but we had like a pad down there, and I I was sort of up on my toes, and so I had a uh, like a um, two oh, by four under my heels, and it was a, a kind of an awkward angle that I had to stand oh, at to goodness. do it. But we did eventually get a, a take that looked really good. I thought it looked like that arrow really did go through me. And it did. And one of the miracles of... of TV, and <laughs> that plus um, killing Gracie Jane was also um, a little hard to do as well. And uh, we had, thank God had a stuntman who sort of came in and helped us toward the end, but that. That was like scaring the life out of me to actually try to. It was a rubber shovel, 
but I really, really didn't like hitting her. (laughs) Children was very game. She went along with it, but man, it was making me very nervous. So I was very happy when the stuntman finally took over. Of course, the final scene, I was all worried. Everybody was worried that Lincoln wasn't going to make it. It looked pretty fatal. And I was so happy to hear. I just want to play what happened as um, we are on the outside of Lincoln's house and Shirley comes out and then we see Lincoln. Thank goodness. He has a few final lines. Here's what he said. Yeah. There she is. Before you all start hugging me, did any of you have the presence of mind to bring vodka? Little antiseptic. A band-aid. It's just a flesh wound. (laughs) What were you thinking when you delivered those lines? You said it so dramatically. (laughs) Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, You know, I... I, um, All of Lincoln's sort of arc in this thing has been... um, just wanting to be sort of noticed. You know, I think he desperately wanted to go to trial for murder. Mm. He just wanted to be a star. And <laughs> and there, in the 11th hour, his dream sort of came true. He was being wheeled out of his house. There were zillions of, you know, SWAT team members and reporters and people, and he was sort of the center of attention at long last. <laughs> and um, so he's being wheeled out. And I, I just thought before they wheel me out there, I thought, Gee, Lincoln would love this moment. Even though he shot through the chest, he would love this moment. He would just be happy to be have everyone looking at him. And so that's what I played in it. I thought, well, this is sort of Lincoln's dream come true. His little stage, <laughs> his stage death voice exactly, came out. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. He's just, you know, happy to have the attention on him at, finally and at long last. <laughs> and of course, a band-aid. That's all it I need. a band-aid. You know, it, it, in the original scene, um, when we shot it, I, when I was shot through the chest, I, um, I actually said to Shirley, don't worry, it's just a flesh wound or something like that oh. before I collapsed. And then that they took that out and just had me say it at the end. Oh wow! Don't I think they, and it's kind of funny because when when you look at it, it does look like I'm dead. So it actually was a good choice, I think. Oh it, yeah. It sort of raised the stakes, and it was like, oh no, Lincoln's dead. Oh, they and don't. It turns out he's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I know it just because you know you have different little wave files sitting around on your computer. I had to play the flesh wound from. Uh, Monty Python. We have, we have sure. to, King Arthur says it. Okay. <laughs> Look, you stupid bastard! You've got no arms left. Yes, I have. Look, it's just a flesh wound. <laughs> I had to do it. <laughs> well, this we wanted to take a good retrospective look at all eight episodes, um, and we only really kind of scratched the surface on the fun scenes. I want to remind everybody who's listening to this that if you go to boston-legal.org, I've excerpted probably breaking dozens of copyright laws, each of of David's scenes in the eight episodes and then strung them together so you get an all-David-all-the-time hour. Of, <laughs> isn't that great? It all boiled down to an hour of airtime. Great. <laughs> We were almost out of time. I want to run through a bunch of things that you are working on, some of the stuff that is coming up, so we have a way to reconnect with you outside of Boston Legal. Sure. Um, I know you mentioned Available Men. That's the short film that's won, what, 14 14 awards now? Uh, 13 right now. 13 and counting, hopefully. And the DVD came out. It did. It came out in January. It's on a um, compilation of short films, which is, interestingly enough, called Available Men, so it's not hard to remember. Oh, and yours is like the, the title of the... I'm the title uh, entry in it, entry so it's kind of fun. Oh, that's really great. And that can be purchased from your website. Why don't you tell us about your website? That was a really nice uh, website. Oh, thank you. Thanks. Uh, it, you can purchase it off the website. It's uh, uh, com. so that's pretty easy to remember. Or, or uh, it is actually available on Netflix, and it's also available at Blockbuster. It's, it's sort of all over the place. Netflix! I'm putting it in yeah. the queue. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Available in is on Netflix, absolutely. Oh, actually, I should, I should actually just buy it. Support your local... Well, that would Lincoln. be nice, too. Let's, let's back up and say support your local filmmaker. Yeah, yes. feel free to buy a copy. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Give them away and as it's a gift. 20 lousy bucks. So, exactly. And you can, <laughs> how many films are on that uh, compilation? Is, I think like seven or something. What a deal. Yeah, that's exactly, good. exactly. And you have a fun name on your production company. But stay oh yeah, yes. Uh, my uh, my production company is called Quit Your Bitchin Entertainment. <laughs> it's great. It's... It just accurately reflects my attitude about show business. Oh yeah. Oh, because you did make a comment at the top of the hour. You said you were kind of fed up with that whole Hollywood or the show business thing. <laughs> just uh, it's uh, I, I love what I do, and um, I'm happy to be doing it, and it's it's going really well at the moment, and it, it's it's great. I just feel very grateful to be able to do what I like to do. You know, I I'm going to ask this. I We'll preface it by saying I know you will lie to me anyway, mm-hmm. but um, if, if it's true, 
Have you heard any rumblings from Boston Legal? Are you back on the set? Or um, You know, I, I actually have not heard from the folks at Boston Legal. I have run into them a couple of times socially. Hmm. Uh, you know, I am hoping to come back at some point. It, this, the, one of the things that makes Boston Legal a great show um, is that they don't really operate with a game plan. It, they sort of operate on story. Like if they if they come up with these great stories that involve the existing characters, like you know Alan and Denny and Shirley and all that, and then then at that point they sort of decide, well, what character would best serve that story? Whether that's Christian Clemenson's character or Jerry, or whether it's Betty White's character or my character or um, uh, or, or Meredith Eaton's character for that matter, who's been on a ton this year. Yeah. Um, they sort of they sort of serve the show first, which I think is what makes it so great, and. Um, so there's no, I don't think there's any, you know, guarantee that any of us will be back mm-hmm. um, unless we're going to, you know, be for the good of the show. And I think that's actually a great thing. Um, there are not many episodes left to shoot this year, so yeah. I think it's unlikely I'll be back this year. But who knows? Maybe I'll be back next year. You never now know. Now they've picked it up. And, and, of course, if there's a season four, there will be a season five. Let's which makes hope it so. nice and syndicatable. And so, yes. Let's hope so. That'd be great. I would love to come back sometime. It was so much fun. And... And, you know, I, I, the nice part about Lincoln is he's just so, you know, relentlessly annoying. I'm sure he would think of something new. Well, I do want to... I think to at this s- point he's going to have to escape from whatever mental institution he's in, but... Oh, oh yes. I, I hope he... Yes. I hope he wasn't in the general population of a prison. <laughs> that wouldn't be good. <laughs> that wouldn't be good. But how I'm rich... Sure. They could have mined that whole trial again, but maybe they were all trialed out. I don't know. Yeah, it could, you know, could be. I, I was actually, um, you know, on the one hand, I felt sort of sad to go because it was so much fun. I'd had so much fun doing it. Uh, but at the same time, I, I, I do think David Kelly has a great sense of when to bring something to an end, you know, and when to give things a rest. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, I do trust his judgment on that. And, and I, I think it'd be great to be back. I, I would love to come back sometime, but I, I'm going to leave that entirely up into to his hands and, uh, it, it's been very life-changing. I mean, I have not ever in my life been any form of celebrity. I have never been recognized in the street or interviewed the way that we're being. I'm being interviewed right now. It's that's never happened to me before. And um, Boston Legal and Lincoln Meyer certainly brought all that into my life. And I I can barely leave my house without somebody stopping me to say, "Oh my God, you're Lincoln Meyer!" Oh, fantastic! And uh, it's been remarkable. And I, I didn't really know any of that was coming when we were shooting it. So it's been a wonderful surprise, right. and um, and like I said, having been away from acting for a very long time, I can't imagine a more fantastic way to re-enter it. And I don't know if I'm going to be doing any more acting or not. I mean, <laughs> I, no one's offered me anything yet. That's um, surprising. But it, it was wonderful. It was a wonderful, surprising, um, really rewarding thing to do. And I couldn't have done it on a more classy, um, well-written, well-produced, beautifully acted show. I mean, it, it's such a we're so lucky to have it, and, and David has really, in my opinion, changed the face of television in the last 15 years. He has. He's done a I really good job. I think we actually owe him quite a bit for what he's done. And uh, there, are a lot of, there are a lot of remarkable shows on TV right now, but I honestly do believe he paved the way for them. And, um, and even still, there were things that we would shoot sometimes on Boston Legal, mm-hmm. and I would think to myself, can they really put this on the air? <laughs> and then turns out, it wouldn't be on the air. <laughs> it would be edited out, you know. Some it bad words or something. A little bit more than ABC was willing to, you know, put on the air. And um, I so admired that, though, that they always tried to push the envelope. They always tried to put something on. Sure. Um, there was one scene where I was talking about my sort of um, uh, sexual fantasies about Gracie Jane. And oh. and when we were when I was talking, I kept thinking, ABC's not going to let us say this on the air. And sure enough, they didn't. <laughs> Interesting, because that would have, of course, there would have been a pattern there. You you know, first of all, you have sexual fantasies about Shirley as well, and then uh-huh. it leads to sinister activity. Right, oh, right. That would have been good to hear. Right, exactly. I would make you get, if we had time, and make you get out those, those pages and read them to us right now. <laughs> so we would they're have long it. gone. No. I have no, I'm there, they went into the recycling years ago. No. Um, oh. <laughs> you must keep mementos. I do want to say, I mean, quickly, because I don't know if you know this, I I am just happy to say that Lincoln has made such a huge mark on it that actually the self-titled episode, the, t- the episode entitled Lincoln, which uh-huh. aired on November 26th, was the highest rated. Most viewers watched that episode. The, wow. Well, it was actually the, the only four other episodes were watched more out of three years. Wow. And that was That's 13. Fantastic. Yeah, 13.47 million. Um, we have to go all the way back to January of 2005. 
for wow. for another one that was watched more. Wow. And that leads me to say that there has been a clamoring of voices within the fan community that Lincoln, that you, David, actually, not Lincoln, should <laughs> should be right up there with the Emmy uh, nominations for Outstanding Guest Actor. Oh, thank you. Definitely. Thanks very much. You must submit, or whoever does a submission needs to happen. Because well, did you, you know yes. that I, I just sat there and looked at IMDb last night and figured out that since 1998, so in 10 Ten years, nine years, David E. Kelly series guest actors have won the Emmy nine out of those ten years That's for guest, guest acting. So everybody from Christian Clemenson last year, of course, Shatner and Sharon Stone won it the, in 2004, and um, a lot of people for the practice. So between Boston Legal Practice, he's had a lock on that, that it's category. It's amazing. I mean, it, it's truly amazing, and, and I... I, I will say, uh, this is, again, something that I really, really do admire David for, is that he has really sort of taken the, um, the job of guest actor and mm-hmm. really elevated it within the industry and made it into something that it was not before and, and created these, the possibility for these, these uh, ongoing um, uh, plot lines involving guest actors where we, could, we can come in and do something for a period of time. And, and you know, I, uh, usually that, that work is also delegated to people who are names. And David's shows are great because there is a mixture. I mean, you have people right. like um, Megan Mullally and you have people like Delta Burke. And you also have people like Christian Clemenson and myself mm. and um, Meredith Eaton-Gildon, who are most certainly not celebrities, mm. who get to come in and play these wonderful roles and have actual storylines and play real scenes and have real relationships with the other characters in the, in the, in the show, which is is yeah. a fairly new development, actually, in TV. You used to kind of come in and you just kind of, you served as a foil to the star, and then you yeah. got off, basically. Yeah. Um, and now it's, it's a much different thing. And it, it really occurred to me, too, I, like in the last three episodes that I was on the show, I would sort of like be pinching myself, thinking, I, I can't, I'm, I'm on this, I have, I'm on screen as much as any of the regulars in these <laughs> episodes. I'm like, I'm like in there, in, in the lives of these characters, and we're actually, we're, we're playing out these real scenes. It's not just... You know, like I said, it's not just a gimmick, mm-hmm. and um, and that's something that David really created, and and he's written these marvelous roles for so many actors over the years. I'm not really surprised to hear that statistic actually that he has that that particular category has done so well with the, or mm-hmm. David Kelly's shows have done so well in that category. And the fact that he wrote you your character as being like you said that sensitive scene in the hallway, and he had that it was a full flesh fleshed out character. Yeah, yeah. And you remember back in the practice? I don't know if you saw it with. Um, there was the serial killer Hinks that really reminded me of the Lincoln character oh, too, yes. and Michael Emerson won for that and that uh, best guest category, you know. For, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember that me. actually, and um, it's it's funny. I um, I ran into um, Leslie Jordan, who is the mm-hmm. actor who was um, uh, I forget yes. the name of his character, but he Bernard was killed Farian. by with the with the uh, frying pan. <laughs> Bernard Ferry, and he played Bernard, right? Yes, <laughs> right. and then of course I, he I ran won into for him not too long ago. Really, and so we were sort of. Um, I don't really know him that well, but we were sort of, you know, conversing about Boston Legal and all that. And, oh, yeah. And he was saying the, the same thing that I had, which was he'd done all this work on David Kelly's shows. He's been on a bunch of them, and he's never met him. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> I, you guys were also, came from the same peapod or something, Those both uh-huh. those characters, because, you know, he was a, he whacked with a frying pan, you whacked with a shovel. And, exactly. You know, <laughs> That is wonderful. I'm glad you got to meet him. And of course, he won for his Will and Grace portrait. Um, oh, that's right. That's right. I, I forgot think. about that. Yeah, I guess, guest in a comedy series. So Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you uh, for that um, vote of confidence. And I, I if, you know, fingers crossed, they announce those things. Oh, yeah. I think in July, something like that. Yes. And then I'll be seeing you on the red carpet in uh, September or whenever oh, well. it was. <laughs> I'm sure we'll be watching you. Thank so. you. I, I hope that. Uh, let's let's hope that happens, I, and it's uh, it would be my honor to be there. And no matter what happens, I'll tell you, Boston Legal was a great gift. It really was. I I can't think of a nicer thing to have happened in 2006 than that show. It oh, I can think so of a nicer unexpected. nicer thing that'll happen in 2007 is whatever you're working on right now. Just leave us with uh, an idea of what you've written lately, or what's okay. maybe in production and down. The yeah, project. yeah. I um I have been working as a screenwriter here in L.A. for about. I don't know, 15 years or something like that. And I've been very blessed to work um, steadily on many projects, some of which got made and some didn't, but I, I've always made a living, which I'm very pleased and proud of. And uh, I recently sort of decided to change my title a little bit and hyphenate myself, as they say out here, mm-hmm. and um, start to attach myself to some of my own 
work as the director. Oh. And um, I optioned a book last year with a couple of friends, and um, it's a book called How to Cook Your Daughter. Oh. Very ominous title. Yes. It's a memoir by Jessica Hendra. Uh, it was very compelling. I thought it was really a beautiful book. And um, I adapted it. Actually, I finished it, actually, while we were shooting Boston Legal. And it looks like we're going to make it now. And That's um, wonderful. I wish I could give you more details past that, but until some of these things become absolutely finalized, yeah. it's probably a little premature to be announcing things. But uh, it does look very positive right now. That and we're you would be possibly, the director. And, yeah. I would be directing it, yeah. It's my script, and also I would be uh, directing it. And we have... Um, and would it be a full talks length? with an actress, and it's going extremely well. Fantastic. And I, I am... Um, I'm looking forward to doing it later this year. Uh, that's the game plan right now. And uh, once it becomes absolutely finalized, I will send up a big flare, I promise. Well, we'll go to your website, which, again, once you give it out, is... Uh, it's daviddeanbotrell.com. Very nice. It's nice and easy. <laughs> yeah, that's, that'd be great. I- yeah, thank you. Thanks. It's, uh, it's very exciting, and it's, um, as I said, it's been, it's been progressing very quickly lately. And, and so, fingers crossed that it continues that way. And hopefully, we'll have more good news soon. And, and who knows? Maybe we'll see each other on the red carpet. Oh, well, I, I won't be there, but I'll be waving at you from my living room. All right, well, that'll be nice. David, thank you so much for the whole hour. It's been wonderful. You stayed longer, and I really appreciate it. Oh, you bet. You bet. It's been my pleasure, Dana. And please give my best to everybody uh, at the uh, website. I'm as big a fan of Boston Legal as they are. Please do drop by sometime. You know how we would all basically faint dead away if you ever posted something in our oh. fan forum. We'd love it. Thank you. You have your own thread in there. so Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. It. I'm glad to hear that. Thank you, David. You bet, Dana. And thank you for listening to another one of the Boston Legal podcasts, what we call Boston Legal Radio. We'll try and do some more periodic guest star conversations from time to time. If you want to look a little more in-depth to David's representation as Lincoln Meyer in the eight episodes we just talked about, be sure to go to boston-legal.org and click on our video episode clips page, and you'll see two videos that cover all eight episodes of just David's scenes, an hour's worth, and also go to our podcast page where you can click on show notes for this podcast and See some supplemental information as well as what we covered and in the order we covered in this podcast. I want to point you over to the Star Trek link on the boston-legal.org website. Uh, There we have Deb, who has done a fantastic job for three seasons now of detailing the similarities in each and every episode of Boston Legal as they relate to the various universes of Star Trek which can be fun and sometimes a little mind-stretching. Once there, click on the Lincoln episode one, and you can see her great comparison of Lincoln Meyer to the ubiquitous Q, John Delancey, who is in a lot of the Star Trek episodes, Next Generation, and the similarities between the two. She has a picture of them side by side where they look quite alike. And if you are interested, and I sure hope you are, to check out his film, Available Men, that you just talked about, It's available all kinds of places, including his website, but also go to Amazon.com by clicking on the store link at the boston-legal.org website, and that will take you to Amazon's Boston Legal Store, where everything that you purchase through there, some of your purchase amount will go back to that website to help maintain it, keep it running. Right now, uh, we have featured available men, and that Amazon's offering it at 20% off, so that's always a good deal. You probably don't need to be reminded of this, but Boston Legal is on every Tuesdays in the United States. Don't forget to tune in. Your numbers count, although it has been renewed for a fourth season, so that's great news. And as we bid adieu for another podcast, we'll let Lincoln and his ukulele take us out. Christmas, Christmas time is near. Time for toys and time for cheer. We've been good, but we can't last. Hurry, Christmas, hurry fast. It's all too delicious for words.